I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Over the last couple of months, one of the biggest stories in the United States has been the Confederate statues coming down all over the South. Well, that story hits home right here in the Kansas City area. There are some Confederate statues, not only in Kansas City, but in the state of Missouri as well. Diane Houston and myself talk with Dr. Jeremy Neely, professor of history at Missouri State, to find out which statues need to come down and which could possibly stay. Well, the biggest story I think going on in the United States of America right now probably is renaming things, Confederate statues coming down, all kinds of historical stuff being removed around the United States and for very good reason. As we talked about in the open, Dr. Jeremy Neely, professor of history at Missouri State, is our guest today, along with Diane Houston, of course, a Kansas City historian uh, to the stars and whatever other title she has as well. Jeremy, we appreciate you uh, coming on and talking a, uh, a little bit about what is becoming a major issue, and rightfully so, like I said, in the United States today. And I, I just kind of want to get your take on on where we are as a country right now when it comes to really removing all of these statues that honor what was a horrible time in our country's history. Hey, Bob, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat with you and Diane. It's, for historians, a really interesting moment. And on one hand, it's it's great to see so many people invested and really enthusiastic about uh, the past and the ways in which the past continues to be with us. Um, but I think one of the, the key points that I try to emphasize for my students that I think is worth remembering now is that the debates that we have now and the struggles over historical memory, none of this is new. Americans throughout their history have had these same sorts of tensions over what is it that we choose to honor and what do we choose to celebrate in our public spaces. Yeah, I think that's also an interesting point. Thank you so much to uh, Dr. Neely for being here. Um, I think it is an interesting conversation because it is, um, as, it, as a, I say, an, a novice historian, uh, Neely's written a book on the border wars and, and he's the real expert here. But the, you know, when we look at our spaces and where we are today, and even my own opinion has kind of altered in the last couple mm-hmm. years. The more I learn myself, also just, you can't ignore the climate we're in right now. And I think it's sure. important that we start to really acknowledge 
why these monuments may have been put up, where they're put up. It's not like they're put up, you know, in a corner in a field that no one knows about and what they actually represented then and what they've come to represent today. So I think that, you know, we have a real tough battle and not every historian, as we know, agrees one way or the other. This is going to be an ongoing debate. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. These, these are, um, these are big issues that, that uh, are involved with these questions, monuments, uh, and public space. And I think your point about the, the dominance of some of these places is key uh, because it's not simply uh, remembering the past, but it's a, a reflection of what community holds dear. Uh, these are the people that we decide are worthy of, of keeping or these are the values they stood for that we think uh, continue to matter. You, you, you talked about earlier, Dr. Neely, in, in the beginning about, you know, like rewriting history, I think was the term you used. And, and, and my mother's a former teacher and she talks about it all the time about, are we just trying to rewrite history here? Are we trying to change history? Are we trying to ignore the past? Like what, what are we really trying to do in, in this situation when it comes to taking down these monuments? Because it is a big part of American history, albeit a part none of us really, uh, you know, agree with or really want to relive ever again. Well, this idea of, of rewriting history is something that historians, um, that's what we do, um, and it's what historians have always done. Um, the practice of history, that is, looking back and studying the past to explain it to people, is at the very core about asking new questions. Um, there are a couple of ways in which history gets rewritten uh, for each generation. The first is that uh, new sources come to light. Uh, the documents and the artifacts from the past that um, we find and, and can use to tell people in the present what happened, um, they're still being dug out of attics. We still have families that turn over to historians, collections of letters and diaries and all these things that shed new light on things that we thought we already understood pretty well. And so you have the documents on one hand, but you also have the questions that get asked differently in each generation. And the questions that get asked um, say something. They say a lot about the time period uh, in which we live. Uh, and so, for example, the history of the Civil War for um, quite a long time did not really consider the experiences of um, most folks. Uh, it was a story about the war itself. It was a story about the soldiers, whether they were Union or Confederate. Um, but what happened back home uh, for the elderly, for children, for women, uh, and the experiences of enslaved people, those were not considered, quote-unquote, real history. This changes uh, during the 1960s and beyond with the civil rights movement, uh, with the protests and the demands for equality uh, made by Dr. King and others. Uh, this brings a shift in the ways in which people think about history, that other stories matter too. Um, and so the the questions we have today are, are not new. Uh, and, and I think they're, they're questions worth engaging. I, I like how you put that too, because when we look at like, in, in, you know, when you're telling a story, which, you know, I am a big advocate of the way to really entice people to understand and be interested in history is to make it interesting. And it doesn't mm -hmm. mean it, that's of course the way it's presented, but we do mm -hmm. have new documents and new things that come up that, that, you know, and also 
just a political climate can change somebody's opinion on something. Sure. Um, I, I think it, I, I think we have to look at this too. And I, and I have a lot of friends that are like, I can't, I can't they're, you know, they're, they're trying to take away our history and we're trying to erase mm-hmm. our history. And I, and of course I hear the argument too, as well, the history, that history can belong in the history book. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people mm-hmm. are actually picking up the history book either. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's important that we have, you know, we have to either recontextualize this and show it in a light. That means that if a monument stayed up, that maybe there's mm-hmm. a plaque or something that goes, there, there's a whole movement on that for historians. So mm-hmm. instead of taking the statue down, right. You, you re you, you rebrand it with today's history Mm -hmm. and tell the true story. I do like that idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're in a political climate with that is up to negotiation right now. And that's Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. I don't want to see, and I think the quicker people move at least to remove things until the climate settles down Uh, because things Mm -hmm. are getting defaced. I mean, here in Kansas city, of course, Mm -hmm. we're Jackson County, you know, we've got statues Mm -hmm. of, of, of Jackson outside of our courthouses and we have two here, which Mm -hmm. is obviously unique. And, um, um, you know, people wanted to remove those. A lot of people don't know enough about history and they're tearing down things though across the, the country that I'm having a trouble understanding why they would do it. Um, they're not linked to the civil war. I mean, if we look at our founding fathers, that's where things get dicey, right? Like how, where does it end? So when we look at these monuments sure. and, and the movement um, here in Kansas city, we had the JC Nichols renaming that, you know, we're going to talk about, I think here in a little bit, but um I think that we're looking at things in a different way and, and we need the support of the community and, and, and keep engaging people to make sure they understand. Mm-hmm. Um, down mm-hmm. in Springfield, and I have a question for you. I, I, I have to bring it up because I think it's, 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 uh, it's one of my favorite things I've seen in a while. You, um, you were on um, television station down in the Ozarks about a mm-hmm. uh, monument in, it's in Springfield, correct? That's right. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and so, just, just north of the mall. <laughs> so it, I, and I think that talking about for these monuments, like every, all of these monuments and, and, and I, Jeremy's good at talking about this, but all of these monuments went up in a very interesting time in our history. It's not mm-hmm. like they went up in 1866, you know, right, um, it was, right. it was much later in um, our history that these started to show up. And it's no coincidence that the cause of the civil war on the Confederacy side is, is known as the lost cause. Um, you know, it's like, we're taking, you don't have, you don't, we don't have people in the American revolution, um, honoring a bunch of British soldiers from the revolutionary war on that side of the coin. Um, and we honor, and I say in our history, we usually take, you know, it's written in the form of the winner. And what's unique about the Confederacy Mm -hmm. is that so for so long, there were so many books and so many things that were dedicated literally just to the Confederacy and their side of the argument. And, and they are compelling. If you read something from Bob, I, I won't bore you on it, but if you read uh, some of these sources from early on, it's almost, you're like, that's not how it happened. And of course, the more we learn, and obviously the, the less biased history becomes, and that's the job of a historian, is trying to look at it from a bigger picture. So then that monument down in Springfield, you know, you got a little of heat down there uh, saying that, you know, uh, essentially that, um, that you didn't think it belonged. So can you tell us a little bit about that monument that you were talking about? Sure, yeah, it's it's a monument that now sits inside of the Springfield National Cemetery, which okay. had been established right after the war um, as a burial ground for uh, soldiers uh, who had died fighting on behalf of the United States. So Union soldiers during the war. Um, just outside of that original cemetery, uh, Confederate 
soldiers uh, were buried. And eventually, over time, as cemeteries grow, they came to include that, that former Confederate cemetery within the larger property. The monument is a statue of a former Missouri governor named Sterling Price, mm-hmm. who is the leader of the Missouri State Guard, which is the pro-Confederate uh, military in Missouri during the war. And I, I made a number of points about why I thought it was a, a, a curious selection. The first is that Sterling Price was a bad general. Uh, he is he, real he bad. Fails, he fails in, in the most important uh, campaigns that he leads in Missouri, leading most of all to his, his route at the Battle of Westport in 1864. Right. Uh, but it's a monument that, like most, as you pointed out, gets built long after the war. In this case, I believe it was built at the very end of the 19th century. And this is this, the period of Jim Crow, during which African Americans have been largely disfranchised. They've been driven mostly from public life. And so the community that is deciding this monument reflects our values, this is a person we, we choose to celebrate. And Sterling Price, by the way, is not even buried there. He's up in St. Louis, where his remains are. He it's, died broke, I think. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he didn't. Yeah, he had fallen from grace. This is a, a period during which um, African Americans have been returned to a position of, of virtual enslavement in a lot of ways. Um, and so the gains of Reconstruction have been largely um, eroded. And so this is the first period of Confederate memorialization, the 1890s, the first decade of the 20th century. The second period comes in the 1950s and the 1960s and beyond. And this is the period during which we really see the flag, the Confederate battle flag taken on a particular political meaning. It happens during this second wave as a rejection of the civil rights movement, as a rejection of the black freedom struggle. And in this second wave, we see how the monuments that you put up perhaps for a particular reason, to honor your Confederate forebears, the people who um, fought a losing cause for, for values that they thought were right. They take on a political meaning to, to others that you can't control. And, and when well, some people can't, they, they, I mean, it, it has a pointed political significance, which is we, the, the white population of the South, reject the dramatic social changes that are happening. And we're going to wave the stars and bars uh, as a as a symbol of our defiance, and, and so, so go go ahead, Bob. No, I was gonna say when when did like in in my mind, you know, I'm a 43 year old you know sports guy, so mm-hmm. I, I love history, and I always just figured and and guessed maybe, and I hate to use the term assume, but I figured mm-hmm. all of these statues that we're talking about and we're taking down went up fairly quickly after the Civil War. I didn't uh, realize it was ew. until like century, a century later yeah. when like all of these statues started to go up. Why did we see all of a sudden a, an explosion of statues to honor something that happened 75, 100 years prior where most of the people erecting the statues weren't even alive at the time to even consider that being part of their lives? That's, that's a great question. And in the first wave, what, what historians largely argue and explain is that you have the, the generation that comes of age after the war. So the sons and the daughters who are trying to make sense of this past that they've learned about, haven't directly experienced themselves, both to them, really to their children. Uh, and so curriculum and the nature of history itself is at issue. And what many of these white Southerners maintain is that 
the war had never been about slavery. It had been about states' rights. It had been about the bravery and the honor of these men fighting for what they believed in. Um, and, and therefore, they're, they're writing in the war. If you want to understand what the war had been about from the perspective, you see in the secession declarations of, of 1860, you see in the speeches of people like Confederate Vice President Alexander Stevens, they make no bones about it. The Confederacy is a society built upon slavery. In Vice President Stevens' words, it is the cornerstone of this new civilization that they're building. And so what we see in the 1890s is, is a kind of revisionism in which the descendants of Confederates now want to explain that Civil War past by driving slavery to the sidelines and say, no, it's about states' rights. They leave unanswered what particular states' right they were so worked up about. And <laughs> yep. that right, of course, is the ability to buy and sell human property and to take it into the Western territories wherever you, you chose. And you so know, this it, process of... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to say, like, my, my whole impression of everything has drastically changed in the 15 minutes we've been doing this podcast because... Like I said, I was under the impression that these monuments went up right away after the war to honor the, the soldiers and to honor that part of their history. I didn't realize they were put up. And so now for me, as somebody who's a fan of history, looking at these monuments, they take on a whole different meaning than I originally thought just a couple of moments ago before we started our conversation. Now I look at all of these Civil War monuments as people who are bigots that just want to continue their bigotry and continue their hate as opposed to honoring history. I, I think... Oh, uh, like, I think it's important to, to bring up, too, that in, in some of these, it, in, we talked about there's that shift with the Confederate flag that happens later after, you know, during the Civil Rights Movement, really. Um, those people that are erecting these monuments, I mean, some of them were going up, of course, when there were still Confederate soldiers alive, but, mm -hmm. you know, the population mm -hmm. is dwindling, for sure. Yes. So I think that you, what we have to look at this is, is depending on when it was done and why it was done. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. Robert E. Lee didn't want any statues at all. He thought that was mm -hmm. a, a ridiculous thing. And I love this because when um, they were, have, have you ever been to Gettysburg, Bob? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you know, there's monuments <laughs> like all over the place, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there, it's like monument heaven over there. So, but when they were talking about proposing Gettysburg a Memorial in 1869 for even Robert E. Lee, he, he said, let's, let's not do that. And his reason, he, I have a quote right here. It says, I think it wiser not to keep open the sores of war, but to follow the examples of those nations who have endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife, to commit to oblivion the feelings endangered. And of course, then he dies pretty quickly afterwards. And then we have all these statues. Everybody's like, yeah, that, we're not going to listen. He can't, he's, he's, he can't say anything. He's gone. Let's put him up everywhere. And, I, and you know, he becomes a symbol after the war. And I think that a lot of these, and especially around here in, in the Kansas City metro area, we have people from both sides, unlike mm -hmm. other areas. When you have national cemeteries sure. in other areas, um, as everyone would understand, it's just like when you go to Europe, there'll be a German cemetery in the middle of Belgium, or there'll be, you know, there's yeah. cemeteries for wherever people fell. So when cemeteries are, you know, when people die, and obviously here in the metro, we had people from both sides of the war. And of course, that's why we have the border wars that still kind of exist today. And, you know, so here, I feel like people did a pretty good job of kind of going back to normal. And I'm actually surprised that we don't have more 
memorials in Kansas City that are for the lost cause, if you will. And there was only one mm -hmm. in on public property that was already removed. And that was, and I love, this is crazy to me. That was erected in 1934. So it's like, I think they had trouble with funding, to be fair. But, um, and it was erected sure, sure. by the Daughters of the Confederacy. Sure. And they donated to the city. And of course, city likes free stuff. So the city puts it up at a park and it ends up on uh, eventually on War Parkway. Um, it says, you know, to the, uh, mm -hmm. to the loyal women of the old South. And then you're like, to the lost mm -hmm. cause. Here we go again. And, and, and I know Jeremy and I have had mm -hmm. a lot of conversations, Bob, about the role of women during the war in general. They're not so innocent as we like to believe that they, they were. Um, they were kind of, you know, co-conspirators in many ways, especially during the border wars here in town. So, it, you know, I, I'm not going to say, I, I would say that, you know, even a few years ago when that was being taken down, I wasn't a fan at first. Again, I think that and, and hearing the, the other one that's big here in Kansas City exists on a private cemetery. So we have a whole different gamut, whole different yeah. set of problems over here because sure. it's not a private cemetery. It's not a public land. Um, it, and it's, it's surrounded by, uh, a, you know, I say anonymous soldiers that were just buried. And, and then, of course, they were buried like three times. Those poor guys. Dude, these people fell. They threw them in the ground. After Battle of Westport, they left him and they're like, we got to put him somewhere, right? And then in 1890, they erected a cemetery kind of across the street, or it was, uh, they were moved actually in 1890, but they were kind of across the street from where that cemetery was and donated land. It was our only Confederate cemetery. And of course, then they moved him again. Those couldn't sleep too long. They moved him again across the street into Forest Hill Cemetery that had developed mm -hmm. in the 1880s. So we're not talking about just a monument that's, uh, and it says, uh, uh, to the Confederate dead is how it's mm -hmm. worded. And yes, there's a Confederate flag etched in it. I, I get a little dicey because I, I look at this, it's private property. And mm -hmm. it was, and it was erected in 1902. Um, mm -hmm. And there were some Civil War people alive and that died after. And Joe Shelby, of course, is a big hero. He's, he, he was, uh, mm -hmm. he was actually a good uh, I say a good soldier, unlike Sterling Price, but, um, and you know, that was the site of where they chose, which is the site of mm -hmm. Shelby's last stand during the battle of Westport. Mm -hmm. sure. There's a lot of contextual history here in Kansas city that mm -hmm. we have. And for me, I get, you know, I, I, we might see a little different on the removal of monuments in some places because I say, mm -hmm. well, that's private property. So where, so what's your take on that? What do we do? Like national cemetery, private property, private cemetery, where does this, where is the line? Well, that's a great question. And, and the lines are continually contested and, and they've always been contested. They've always been negotiated within the community and, and the stakeholders within the community. Um, going back to the American Revolution, there had been statues of King George III, but those got taken down. Um, we don't see any statues of our dude Benedict Arnold because the people of that generation thought this is not somebody we choose to honor. He was a traitor, um, right? Yeah, you're not going to find a lot of the statues in a society that's one is freedom. <laughs> Context is important, as you point out. There are all kinds of possibilities that can be considered with respect to monuments. They can be turned down, as we've seen in Richmond and elsewhere, in the city. Uh, you can contextualize this. And when you begin to add more explanation about the time in which they were built, the person that they, they choose to celebrate or the people. Um, you can add to it by putting up perhaps a complimentary monument. Uh, and so there are discussions in Washington, D.C. about 
the Abraham Lincoln and the uh, emancipated slave, the so-called emancipation monument that shows this African-American man kneeling at uh, Lincoln's feet, sort of showing him in this inferior position that perhaps it might be better to have something that reflects African-American agency next to it, that they're just not the passive recipients of their freedom, but they had fought for it and they had won it themselves. Uh, I have friends, uh, historians who believe that these monuments should be repurposed somehow and um, perhaps broken and then turned into artwork, uh, maybe relocated, put in a museum, but there are great possibilities to be considered. And I think your point about the, the place that they presently occupy is one of the factors that has to be considered. Uh, a place that's right in a spot where lots of people see it, lots of, it's, it's very prominent. That's a reflection of a community's priorities. Something tucked away on, on private land, um, what ability do we as a community have to tell them you have to move this off of that land? That, that's a slightly different question. And I think it's one that in a democratic society, it's messy. <laughs> Yeah. People yeah. get riled up. People get loud. I I don't like necessarily seeing everything get so uh, it's so politically motivating or motivated at the mm -hmm. at the moment. And I mm -hmm. I have a, a bit of a struggle with I I don't want to see I, I, you know any political lines drawn on this because sure. you know I we all have a right to our opinion and I I think it's as sure. we've learned in Kansas City about renaming taking stuff down. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to make sure that the community understands what's going on before right. and, and, and the conversation exists and it's an authentic conversation. And mm -hmm. like you had said, there's a couple ways to do that. There's the recontextualization of monuments. Some people don't want them touched at all. I don't think we have that. I don't even see how that could be, a, be an option at this point. Um, yeah. but you know, I was watching, uh, CNN the other day. I, I, it's background noise. It's background noise. It's usually because yeah, I'm yeah. reading something. Anyway, yeah. I was watching CNN and um, there were two de uh, descendants of Jefferson's on. Mm -hmm. One was from Sally Hemming. So he was an African-American teacher. I think he lives in Texas. And then the other was, of course, just like your standard white dude who's related to Jefferson. And to be fair, there are more than two people related to Thomas Jefferson in this world. Um, lots and lots of people. Sure. So um, in any case, he, I, the, the reason they were on is because both of them out of a very large group family unit, um, both of them think that Jefferson's monuments should come down. And I, mm -hmm. I, I, I like, I like choked on my coffee. Like again, where, like we, I think we were so busy trying to figure out what can be, I don't want to say defiled and taken down because a lot of things are being like mm -hmm. ripped down, which is not the image anybody wants. Um, where like that shocked me because mm. where and you know and, and a lot of people don't know Thomas Jefferson when he wrote the declaration or when he was writing the uh, Declaration of Independence had a clause in there about slavery and they you know there was yeah. a big argument that said we're not yeah. leaving that in and in part of it and I love this because I like to blame King George for everything but he was kind of a nut but they <laughs> they wanted to they, they, they literally put in a clause you know he wanted to say this is morally wrong. And I mean, Robert E. Lee owned slaves and said it was morally wrong. It's, I love it. It's because they, a lot of them said, we knew it was wrong or we know it's wrong, but, right? There's always that but attached to it. And I just thought it was really interesting that this family was calling for things like for Jefferson to be removed mm -hmm. because then, then I'm like, I, I, again, I get a little weird about some of these things. So mm -hmm. 
though that part of history has remained and yes, history is told by the, mm-hmm. you know, the white guy um, mm-hmm. and it's told by the winner usually. And that's mm-hmm. what makes the civil war so much different than maybe the revolutionary sure. war um, and our founding sure. fathers is because the, the cause is a, is a little bit different. Yeah. I, I think that's, it, it's the fact that we have these questions now about, um, in this time of cancel culture, of um, well, well, do we begin to take down all of the monuments to people who are problematic? And no surprise, everybody is problematic. No one's <laughs> people, perfect because yeah. people are people are human, right? And I think what the question should begin to consider more directly are what particular facts or things in a person's life make them you know, so complicated that we, we have to just say, no, we're not going to recognize that. And for me, and this is just my two cents, when we're talking about the Civil War, the, the people who waged war upon the United States uh, the, the, on behalf of a, a society dedicated to the proposition of, of white supremacy and, and enslavement of other humans, that to me is, is a clear line that we don't need to have those names on U.S. military bases. doesn't uh, make any sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and those are names that get applied in the 20th century. But to your, your point about Jefferson, yeah, Thomas Jefferson um, was slavered. Thomas Jefferson sexually abused Sally Hemmings. Um, Thomas Jefferson did not walk the walk that he'd spelled forth in the Declaration that all men are created equal. <laughs> Jefferson does write that declaration, which then becomes one of the foundations that abolitionists will cite in their claims right. for freedom. They and use so, the word to actually defend exact argument about the morality of slavery. I mean, that's it. Right. It, it, yeah. And so the founding fathers, they're, they're complicated. They did some bad things. They also did some important things mm-hmm. that are worthy of, of remembrance. Um, and so there's, there's that particular period. More recently, there's, there's Woodrow Wilson, whose name got taken off uh, of a part of Princeton University. And, and I think we are able to take these people one by one on their merits and say, well, is this person on the whole worthy of, of our celebration? Um, and I'm more inclined to encourage those kinds of conversations than just the knee-jerk take them all down or the knee jerk. No, just leave them all up. We can't touch these. I think we owe it to ourselves to, to sort of look at, at our history with clear eyes. So see the good and see the bad. So Jeremy, when, when you look at the state of Missouri, obviously there's statues in St. Louis, there's statues mm-hmm. in Kansas city mm-hmm. where you are as well down in Springfield. Ultimately, yeah. when you look at the state as a whole, what is your mm-hmm. kind of take of what we should be doing with these Confederate remembrance statues? That's a good question. Missouri is, is a complicated place. <laughs> and, and Missouri, Missouri during the war was a state where slavery remained illegal, but it also remained a union state. And, and I think that's part of the Missouri history that's often been forgotten. That, that you know, um, it had been a largely loyal state. It sent far more men to fight for the union than for the Confederacy. I think that Missouri, like many states where slavery had been legal, has done an insufficient job of reckoning with that past. And so Missouri, like many former slave states, um, has too often recognized the people who defended slavery, the people who fought on behalf of the Confederacy. 
I think that Missouri needs to be more proactive in, in recognizing some of those um, loyal voices, some of the voices that had fought against that. Um, for example, I, I don't know that we have many monuments to, to Dred Scott, uh, the enslaved man who went to court to try to get his freedom in the state. Um, and so I think Missouri has a lot of work to do, but I think that a lot of states have, have work to do. So in Kansas, in, the north, the south, all over. In, in your opinion, are we going to be having mm-hmm. this conversation in, in five years, or will this have all, I hate to use the term resolved itself, but in, <laughs> in, in, in five to ten years from now, will we be seeing the honoring of a really, really wretched time in our country's history, or will that be kind of this all is, taken down and just put in the history books? Oh, this is a great question, Bob. I think that historians are pretty good by profession at looking backwards and explaining why things happened and how they happened the way they did. We're really bad at looking forward, (laughs) even our predictions. But I would say with some confidence that we will continue to wrestle with this uh, because the study of the past is an ongoing process because um, the questions we ask are going to reflect what's happening five years from now and 10 years from now and I dare say 50 years from now. This is going to be a question we're going to continue to grapple with and um, especially in our unique position in the state of Missouri and even Kansas. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of healing that needs to still happen as well in our current climate. It's a pretty interesting conversation with Dr. Jeremy Neely and a lot to think about as a Kansas Cityan. Join us next month as we look at what names possibly need to be changed on streets and buildings and landmarks right here in the Kansas City area. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.